The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Um, as you know, we celebrate the Annunciation of the Lord this morning, the first joyful mystery. Uh, and uh, we should note that uh, we have a beautiful statue over here uh, with the candelabra uh, where we can admire that. Um, these statues that we have of the joyful mysteries that surround our sanctuary and the visitation being in the chapel where it should be for adoration, where we visit Jesus, um, it occurred to me it's really interesting when we think about the incarnation that's both conception, which we celebrate today, and the nativity, the birth. And I don't think it's any coincidence that halfway between the two st statues of the incarnation is where we celebrate the Eucharist every day. So God with us right here in the middle because it's interesting, you can't get to December 25th without going through March 25th. They go together. The incarnation is the conception and birth. It's both. Um, I started really looking at, okay, the incarnation as a whole. And uh, Aquinas, you, uh, he has done a lot of writing on the incarnation. And uh, he approached it not from a proof point, how can I prove what this means, but from what he said, it's fitting, fittingness. Uh, and fittingness doesn't try to prove anything. It just tries to show us the inner wisdom of the divine design. 
So he was trying to show us what is so beautiful about the incarnation. And he had four points. Uh, they were goodness, God's goodness, in that really everything that God has ever done has always been to help heal us, even in the uh, uh, things that he would do to correct us, the punishment or whatever it would be. It was always to heal us. Uh, the second was justice. And he always respects our freedom of choice. And in the incarnation, he uses our choice, which got us into trouble in the Garden of Eden. He uses that to lead us back to him through our choice in our faith. That's our road and journey back to him. Wisdom was his third point, and the wisdom of how can these people, how can we be saved, and only through the God-man Jesus, only through him who can take away our sins, he's the only one capable, but yet he can be our brother and act and speak for us. Such tremendous wisdom in that. And the final point was that the incarnation was the most fantastic, impossible thing that God could do. God being so big that the heavens cannot contain him is going to become so small that he comes to us through the virgin's womb and she's going to be able to hold him. That's so incredible. There's nothing that could be better. And it's interesting because uh, for uh, forever, the Jews always anticipated that it was in the spring that the major, most powerful things that God has done occurred. The creation of the world, they felt, happened in the spring. Uh, they felt that the flood happened in the spring. They felt that the exodus happened in the spring. Why not the most incredible gift that we have, the conception of Jesus, be also in the spring? Well, so I'm looking at all these statues that we have, and I'm thinking, you know, they all make a lot of sense. They, they're fitting for what I see. But I, I've always had a little trouble with this statue as I read the scripture of what happened. Uh, when is it that Mary is on her knees? Uh, and if we kind of trace ourselves through the gospel reading, um, it seems to me, because Mary isn't speaking at the very beginning, when the angel, and by the way, it's not just an angel, it's an archangel. Wouldn't you think that you would react differently than just being troubled by how the greeting is? Wouldn't you think you would be somewhat aware that the most powerful of angels is in front of you? It suggests something about the interior life of Mary. We know from scholars who research the wording of this that Mary had decided to become a consecrated virgin for God. 
That's not a light decision in first century uh, Israel. That's not a light decision. She was aware. She had an ardent yearning for God. That interior life that Mary has speaks to how she feels about the angel. She's not surprised. She's not moved or troubled. It's the greeting that she's wondering what it means, not who's delivering it. The angel, of course, tells us about the wonderful gift that's going to happen. In my mind, with this statue, as I try to think about, okay, what is really happening with this statue, this scene, this moment, is the angel is telling Mary all about what's, what's going to happen. And her question is, how? Now, we can approach that with, well, maybe she was naive on how reproduction happens in uh, our world. I don't think that's the case, because here she is. She's decided to be a virgin. Could it be, and this is the fitting piece of the way I envision the scene, the moment, is that Mary knows what was told in our first reading, Emmanuel, God is going to be with us. She understands those four points to a degree that Aquinas had talked about, especially the largeness of God that's going to come to her she's in awe how it's not that it's going there's going to be fertilization it's how she's overwhelmed with how huge this is and to me in my mind that's the point that she falls to her knee and says, let it be done to me. A realization of how wonderful and the awe of what is about to happen. Let it be done to me. Now what do we take away from this? To me, we have this same opportunity every time we receive the Eucharist. And really what we want to go to when we think about consecration to Mary, through Mary to Jesus, that humbling point of the power and the wonderful aspect of what's happening and Mary falling to our knees, I think of us as the Eucharist is presented to us, if in our amen, if in our mind, we fall to our knees and say, let it be done to me. That's when miracles happen, when we allow ourselves to be open to the gifts of what God can do, when they are there in front of you and we humble ourselves, lower ourselves to our knees in our mind, and allow God to work his miracles through us. That's what that statue, I think, means, and maybe a reminder every time we're here 
to celebrate the awesome power of God waiting to come into our lives and work miracles. Let us stand and offer our petitions.